Wish you weren't hearing an ad right now? Want to get the next episode even sooner? Well, after the show, head to watchnebula.com slash radio. You'll get access to our original podcasts ad-free, plus exclusive originals and experimental shows from your favorite educational-ish creators. And best of all, you're helping us to make even more amazing content. Just go to watchnebula.com slash radio. It really helps us out. Good grammar isn't just a way to sound professional or feel morally superior in all those Facebook debates. The best way to feel superior is to not participate in Facebook debates at all. But as American writer Robert Brault once quipped, do not be surprised when those who ignore the rules of grammar also ignore the law. After all, the law is just so much grammar. So in answer to the question, who gives a fuck about the Oxford comma? Well, I do. And so do most lawyers. Matters of grammar, syntax, and yes, even a misplaced comma have changed the course of history. On more than one occasion, a poorly placed comma has cost the US government and businesses millions of dollars. Other times, comma placement has literally cost people their lives. Such was the case of Sir Roger Caseman, an Irish separatist convicted of treason in Great Britain during World War I, who famously is said to have been, quote, hanged on a comma. But more on that later. Now, I know what you're thinking. Isn't this video just like a half as interesting video? To which I say, no, it's like five half as interesting videos crammed together. Sue me. Let's start off with the case of the $2 million comma. Few days inspire more anger and frustration here in the United States than April 15th, tax day. income taxes as we know them today have only existed since the early 20th century, following the ratification of the 16th Amendment. Before that, the US government funded its operations a bit differently. And on July 4th, 1789, President George Washington signed the Tariff Act of 1789, stipulating that duties would be laid on, quote, goods, wares, and merchandise in order to, quote, support the government. Instead of taxing income, the government taxed imported goods to fund its priorities. Now, you may know these as tariffs, and contrary to what President Trump says, hmm, sorry, former President Trump. Man, that, uh, that feels kind of good. Now, uh, where was I? Oh yes, uh, contrary to what former President Trump would say, tariffs are not paid by foreign companies or China. Tariffs are taxes on imported foreign goods paid by Americans. And for over a century after our country's founding, these foreign import tariffs served as the primary source of the US government's revenue, at times accounting for as much as 95% of the federal budget. And for an eight year period beginning in 1862, the US government briefly levied income taxes as part of a patriotic war effort to support the union effort against the Confederacy. But after the Civil War, the US returned to using tariffs to fund the majority of government operations. So enter President Ulysses S. Grant, who signed the Tariff Act of 1872, which sought to ease the burden on the economy by exempting a variety of goods from tariffs. And that brings us to how one typo cost the US government $2 million, or approximately $42 million in today's dollars. And quick aside, since we're talking about typos and commas, Grant was actually born Hiram Ulysses Grant, but he owes his name Ulysses S. Grant to a typo. When a congressman nominated Grant to become a candidate for West Point Military Academy due to a typo, he accidentally recommended Ulysses S. Grant. And when Grant got to West Point, he registered as Ulysses Hiram Grant, likely due to concern of being made fun of for having his initials spelled H-U-G. Yeah, 
the guy likes a hug. But eventually he started going by Ulysses S. Grant. Like I said, typos can literally change the course of history. But back to what you all came here for, hardcore typographical syntax and a history lesson on US tariff laws. Now, all prior tariff acts had included a list of goods that were generally exempt from being taxed upon importation to the United States. Among these exempt items were quote, fruit plants, tropical and semi-tropical for the purpose of propagation or cultivation. Notice fruit plants refers to the plants, not the fruit itself. Buying fruit used to be quite expensive. The 1870 Tariff Act levied a duty of 20% on oranges, lemons, pineapples, and grapes, and a duty of 10% on limes, bananas, and essentially all other fruit. Fruit was a very popular import item, and thus fruit tariffs represented a not insubstantial portion of the federal budget. And in the 1872 Tariff Act revision, there was a rather unfortunate and costly drafting error. The list of exemptions in the 1872 Tariff Act was supposed to read fruit hyphen plants with a hyphen in between, but instead the statute read fruit comma plants. So with fruit comma plants replacing fruit hyphen plants, again, I don't know how we can cover such a sexy, sexy topic as this. I do what I want. The importers argue that the act of 1872 now allowed free entry of all tropical and semi-tropical fruits, filing refund claims from the US government immediately upon arrival of fruit shipments. The secretary of the treasury initially rejected this claim, arguing that the grammatical error was clearly intended to read otherwise. Importers hoping to take advantage of this loophole filed a series of lawsuits. And once it was clear that the treasury department's arguments would not hold up in court, the treasury relented. And in December, 1874, two years after the unfortunate typo, the US government agreed that imported fruits were tax-free under the 1872 Act, and all taxes collected on imported fruit was refunded, $2 million worth. That typo would end up costing the US government $2 million in revenue, which was approximately $42 million in 2021 dollars. And that represented 1.3% of the entire government's total tariff income and 0.65% of the entire federal budget. Needless to say, this case was bananas. Now, there are certain topics that you just simply don't talk about in polite company, religion, politics, money, but not even these topics are as polarizing as the Oxford comma, which ended up costing one main dairy company $5 million. And if you see someone who is not using an Oxford comma, please call 911. That monster has to be reported to the authorities. So what is an Oxford comma? Well, in a list of three or more items, such as lions, tigers, and bears, Oh my. Those who ascribe to the Oxford comma rule would place a comma after tigers. Well, others would simply write lions, tigers, and bears without the second comma. And apparently the internet is very, very divided on the Oxford comma. Half of the internet likes to be wrong. What would you do with a brain if you had one? So why does the Oxford comma matter? Well, the presence or absence of the Oxford comma can completely change the meaning of a sentence. For example, if I say for my birthday, I went out to dinner with my parents, Bill Clinton and George W. Bush, that means I had a riveting night out with my mom, my dad, and two former presidents. However, if I say I went out to dinner with my parents, Bill Clinton and George W. Bush, that just raises all kinds of uncomfortable questions. Like, why weren't my two presidential dads around for me more growing up? I guess they had a country to run, but still, they could have come to at least one of my baseball games and give me a ride to school in the Marine One helicopter. I'll tell you, the holidays were no picnic. They were extremely divided. I, I guess I have some things to work out with my imaginary parents. Anyway, uh, so here's how a missing Oxford comma cost the Oakhurst Dairy in Portland, Maine, $5 million. In 2014, truck drivers for the Maine Milk and Cream Company filed a $10 million class action lawsuit alleging Oakhurst had failed to pay them owed overtime. 
At the time, Maine law required time and a half payment for each overtime hour, but it carved out overtime exceptions for those who performed the following duties. Quote, the canning, processing, preserving, freezing, drying, marketing, storing, packing for, shipment, or distribution of agricultural produce, meat and fish products, and perishable foods. So what's the problem here? Well, the dispute turns on just one word, or in the phrase shipment or distribution, or specifically, or in the absence of an Oxford comma. And why does this matter? Well, here's how NPR's Colin Dwyer explained it back in 2017. The presence of that tiny conjunction without a comma as a companion makes for some muddled meanings. Is packing for shipment or distribution exempt from overtime regulations? Or are both packing and shipment and distribution exempt? These aren't idle questions for the five delivery drivers who sued Oakhurst, because as Quartz notes, the drivers do distribute, but they do not pack the perishable food. In other words, one interpretation of the law's list would make the drivers eligible for overtime pay. The other would mean they won't get those extra dollars for extra time on the job. So in this lawsuit, the delivery drivers argue that the quote, packing for shipment or distribution refers to the single activity of packing, regardless of whether the packing is for shipment or for distribution. And since the drivers handle perishable food, but do not engage in packing them, they argue that they are not exempt workers under the law. In response, Oakhurst countered that the phrase packing for shipment or distribution refers to two distinct exempt activities, the first being the packing for shipment and the second being distribution. Since the truckers do engage in the distribution of dairy products, which are perishable foods, the truckers are exempt from overtime pay. A federal court in Maine agreed with Oakhurst ruling that under state law, the drivers were not entitled to overtime pay. And the court concluded that the Maine legislature intended to describe two distinct exempt opportunities. And there was no dispute that the truckers do engage in the distribution of dairy products. But a three judge panel on the first circuit court of appeals disagreed and reversed the lower court's decision. Judge David Barron opened the 29 page ruling saying that, quote, for want of a comma, we have this case. The court reasoned that the lack of an Oxford comma between shipment and, quote, or distribution of meant that both the phrases referred back to the singular activity of packing. And since the drivers deliver products, but don't pack them, they were not covered by the main exemption for overtime pay. Judge Barron concluded that the lack of a comma made the statute ambiguous and under the rules of interpreting statutes, any ambiguity must be construed liberally. And as a result, the court unanimously sided with the drivers sending the case back down to the lower court. And shortly thereafter, the parties settled for $5 million. Afterwards, the Maine legislature stepped in and addressed the punctuation issue, but I think they might have overcompensated just a little bit. Take a look at how the law is written now. The canning semicolon, processing semicolon, preserving semicolon, freezing semicolon, drying semicolon, marketing semicolon, storing semicolon, packing for shipment semicolon, or distributing of colon, sub one agricultural produce semicolon, sub two, meat and fish products, semicolon, and sub three, perishable foods, period. And when asked about replacing all of the punctuation with semicolons, the main legislature said, no comma. All right, that takes us to the third and potentially most important comma in history. As Sir Roger Casement said, quote, God deliver from such antiquaries as these to hang a man's life upon a comma and throttle him with a semicolon. When a lawyer takes a client's defense, particularly one punishable by death, the best strategy is to force the state to prove their case and avoid making any damaging admissions on your end. But that doesn't always go as planned, particularly when you have a client like Sir Roger Casement, charged with high treason against England during World War I. 
Not only did he refuse to deny the underlying charges against him, but Sir Roger, an Irish separatist, wanted to give a passionate speech explaining why his purported treason in the name of Irish independence was morally justified, even during World War I. Seeking to prevent his client from making the state's case for him, Sir Roger's lawyer, in what might have been a miscalculation of legal strategy, rested his client's defense primarily on punctuation, namely the interpretation of a comma in the underlying treason statute. And prior to his arrest for treason, Roger Casement was a highly respected diplomat, described as the father of 20th century human rights investigations. He became Sir Roger Casement upon being knighted in 1911 for detailing Belgian colonial atrocities and human rights abuses in Peru. And despite his service to the crown, Sir Roger was an anti-imperialist Irish separatist who wanted to see Ireland independent from Britain. And after being knighted, Sir Roger became active in Irish Republican nationalism. In November 1914, just four months after the outbreak of World War I, Sir Roger negotiated a formal declaration from Germany, then at war with Britain, pledging that, quote, under no circumstances would Germany invade Ireland. And Germany supported Ireland's quest for, quote, national prosperity and national freedom. Sir Roger personally went to Germany to seek military aid in his quest to gain Irish independence. Sir Roger also sought to persuade Irish prisoners of war in Germany to renounce their allegiance to the king and form an Irish brigade to fight back against the British. But for collaborating with Germany during World War I, Sir Roger Casement was arrested and charged with treason. The Treason Act of 1351, which had been translated into English from its original Norman French, included the following pertinent text. If a man do levy war against our Lord the King in his realm, or be adherent to the King's enemies in his realm, giving to them aid and comfort in the realm, or elsewhere, etc., etc. Now, the defense argued that the phrase, quote, or elsewhere, applied only to the words aid and comfort in the realm, but had no application to the words be adherent to the king's enemies in the realm, or levy war against our lord the king in his realm. According to this interpretation, the Treaty Act only criminalized activities carried out on British soil, while activities carried out outside of Britain, like the ones that Sir Roger did in Germany, did not qualify as treason under the law. The court rejected this interpretation, treating the commas around aid and comfort like a parenthetical phrase. And the court concluded that treason was treason, whether committed at home or abroad. And after all of his appeals were exhausted, Sir Roger Casement was hanged in London in August 1916. And such was the origin of Sir Roger's famous epigram. Because when Sir Roger complained that he was hanged on a comma, he was criticizing his lawyer's losing legal strategy, focusing on punctuation and not criticizing the statute itself. In lieu of grammatical analysis, Sir Roger wanted to give a flowery speech defending his actions to essentially tell the court, yes, I committed treason, but I would do it again if it meant that Ireland could be free. So there you have it, legal eagles. Grammar and punctuation are consequential things. One misplaced comment can cost you millions of dollars or your life if you're not careful. So remember, friends don't let friends draft ambiguous laws. And if you can, be sure to get a designated drafter or you could regret it for the rest of your life or at least until the next legislative session. Oh, and one last thing. I know right now you're probably fumbling with your phone trying to find the next podcast to listen to, but you can't because this is an ad. But it doesn't have to be that way. Instead, you can go to watchnebula.com slash radio. You can get access to all of our original podcasts ad-free, plus exclusive originals and experimental shows from your favorite educational-ish creators. And best of all, you're helping to support us make even more amazing content. So before you go, check out watchnebula.com slash radio to support this channel and this podcast directly.